This is The Guardian. I'm Faker Rothers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. France-Brazil lived up to the hype with a late Wendy Renard header kick-starting Les Bleus tournament. That leaves Group F wide open after Jamaica's win over Panama could mean a straight shootout with the Brazilians for a place in the last 16. Elsewhere, Sweden are into the knockouts after sweeping aside Italy and some good news coming out of the England camp. Kira Walsh has channeled all our good vibes and confirmed she's not done her ACL. All that Plus, we'll take your questions, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and proud partner of the England teams. Search Google Store to find out more. Well, what a panel. I hope you're more professional than me. I had to record the intro three times because I kept saying Les Bleus tournament. Tournament. <laughs> Unbelievable embarrassment. Thanks for laughing at me, Moyo. How are you doing? No, I had to go on mute to be fair because I wasn't sure. Um, I, I had faith for that third time. I'm doing really good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm very glad to hear it. Tim Stillman, are you, are you jet-lagged, hot off the plane from the USA after following Arsenal on their pre-season tour? Uh, yes, absolutely. I landed five hours ago and I haven't slept for about 26 hours now. So um, I, I might make some mistakes that require some editing as well, just FYI. Oh, right. This is going to be fun, isn't it? <laughs> uh, for sure. And uh, Sophie Downey has just got fresh out of uh, the, is it the Brisbane Stadium that they were playing at, France-Brazil. What an absolute cracking match to watch. It was. It was absolutely rocking. The Brazilians absolutely brought it. I got stuck in a fan march beforehand. It was great fun. Stuck in one or attached yourself to one? Uh, well, I have a habit of getting stuck in them, but maybe it's being attached to them. Either either works. You were, you were attracted like honeys to a bee. Um, yeah, right, honeys to a bee. Oh, God, I've done it again, haven't I? Like bees to honey. Honey yes. to the bee. Oh, God. Now I sound like <laughs> Billy Piper. Right, let's just get on with this, shall we? Uh, <laughs> it's Saturday. Uh, we're starting there, Sophie. Group F, France 2, Brazil 1. Um, the best place to, to start. It was a hotly anticipated match in Group F, wasn't it? And it finished in favour of Les Bleus. Who else but Captain Wendy Renard uh, left completely unmarked. Why would you do that? To storm in at the back post and head her side ahead late on. Uh, she had been an injury doubt coming in into this game but stepped up in the 83rd minute to guide Herve Renard's side to victory. Uh, Sophie, a brilliant contest between two giants of the women's game. Uh, you messaged me saying how much fun it was uh, to watch. It was end-to-end in the second half in particular. Uh, clearly lived up to the hype. It was. It was just It was just a beautiful game of football in, in terms of the excitement. I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was literally going... There was one, one stage in the second half where the ball literally went from left to right to left to right. And I was like, what? <laughs> how on earth do I keep up? How do I tweet about this? <laughs> What's going on? Um, yeah, it was energetic, frenetic, um, exciting. I think France started really well. They, they started they started and deserved their lead uh, through Le Sommet. Um, but then Brazil did claw themselves back into the game and they were playing some really, really delightful stuff. Um, maybe just not quite getting the end product. And there was a moment in the second half where they, they looked like they should have scored uh, to put themselves ahead. And it was just like the wrong options sometimes, I think, that were being taken. 
Um, but there were definitely chances at either end. So, yes, a really exciting game. Tim, you're our resident Brazil expert. What did you make of their performance? It, it felt a little bit as if France stifled some of their creativity for the first hour. But as, as Sophie said, maybe they didn't necessarily take the chances that they had. And it was a really composed finish from Dabinia to draw level. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that, that Dabinia uh, finish was exactly what they were crying out for at that moment because this was such a transitional game. And I think you could see that both teams are stacked with attacking talent and pace and skill in their forward lines in particular, but perhaps both of them little level below in midfield and both of the teams were turning the ball over quite a lot. And Brazil were quite often getting in those really good positions and either a player was being a bit selfish or else the the final ball wasn't quite there. So... uh, they really got themselves back into it, Brazil, after a, a not great first half. But yeah, the, I, I follow a lot of Brazilians and all of them devastated to lose a goal in the way they did because Wendy Renard is hard to stop from corners. We all know that, but you should probably try. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Maybe, maybe position yourselves near to her yeah. uh, in order to stop that happening. Um, Marta introduced in a triple change in the 86th minute, but couldn't inspire her side to find the equaliser. But from some France love needed, I think Moyo and and certainly some going to Eugenie Le Sommer, uh, who course opened the scoring as Sophie said left out of the Euros didn't feature in qualifiers under the previous regime she really had a, a point to prove it felt and she did that her ninth major tournament for the French quite incredible and her 90th goal for the country crazy yeah listen all the accolades she's got are beyond crazy especially at international level um, but I feel like what you get with her is just someone that really understands the forwards positioning um, and that goal came from the fact that she really understands where she's supposed to be in relation to the wingers and in relation to where the defensive line is. Um, yeah, I thought it was a great goal, really well taken goal, especially with the head of back across goal. And then she was just in a perfect position. But France, I feel like what they did really well today was that they, we could really see the, the little partnerships they've got on the pitch. So like we saw a really good partnership on the left, both with um, Diani um, and Basha. And who was the fullback today? Kashawi? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was really good combination play uh, on the left, especially. And we could see that they really understood where they were supposed to be in relation to each other. Um, and that was something that for Brazil, I feel like wasn't really happening in the first half. It almost felt as though they were doing one thing too many. So like, I feel like doing dummies and stepovers and certain stuff is really good when you're like, already got control of the game. Um, but they didn't have any of the momentum in the first half. So when they were doing it then, I was just like, just hold on to the ball for a bit. Just like, Recycle the ball, keep the keep the ball moving, but keep possession of the ball. Um, as Sophie said before, the game was just really transitional. So, like, it literally meant that once Brazil equalised, it felt as though it was end to end to end. Um, and the game was almost crying out for someone to say, "Listen, we don't we don't need it to be like this. Let's 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 calm it down." But they both kind of seemed happy to go back to back. Basically, um, it was just a shame that that Brazil conceded the way they did. Yes, great for the neutral, that. I mean, yeah, go all in. I love it. (laughs) 
Wonderful. Um, based on that, I mean, obviously they're going to have to be a little bit tighter than that and a little bit uh, have better game management going into uh, the latter stages of the tournament if, in fact, both these sides get to the latter stages of the tournament because we'll discuss Panama-Jamaica in a second, which uh, means that we've got a really open Group F now. But do you think if they did, Sophie, that either of these sides could go all the way based on what you've seen today? Um, I, I think there are still questions over both of them. I think they um, both have those those attacking players, but maybe defensively sometimes um, they look a little bit um, dodgy, if for want of a better word. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just here for the pure vibes of it all. And I think the tournament would do great to have either or both of those sides um, in into the latter stages because, you know, it was, it was just super exciting. There were 49,000 people in the crowd loving every single minute. Um, even when the Mexican wave went round several, several times, I think it was more of an engaged Mexican wave than a passive Mexican wave. It was like part of the whole cer- like carnival that was happening on the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think uh, um, the, the, the longer they both stay in the tournament, the better. Yeah, the late kickoff today ended Panama nil, Jamaica one. Alison Swarby heading in the winning goal from a corner. Unfortunately for Panama, that means they're out of their first ever Women's World Cup. But it was a tight game with some late penalty drama as well, wasn't it, Moyo? Yeah, it was a tight game. It was a lot tighter than I expected, to be honest. I think Panama held their own for large parts of the game. Whilst not necessarily threatening attacking-wise, they were sort of trying to contain Jamaica. Um, I think they were doing a pretty good job of it, obviously, until the goal. Um, And then it felt as though after Jamaica scored, they should have probably scored at least two to three more. There were a couple of opportunities that have just... If if whoever had the ball just looked around, left and right, like scanned a bit more and could see oncoming runners, like they'd be able to make the right pass. But it just felt as time, like it felt as though when they were getting into the final third, they were rushing a lot. Um, the game could have been a lot, a lot more comfortable uh, for Jamaica. Um, Dries Burns had a couple opportunities herself in the first half. She was unlucky, to be honest, not to score. Um, but yeah, it always felt like Jamaica were going to get a goal. It was just about, it was just about when. Yeah, two clean sheets for Jamaica now, though, Tim. They're level on points with France at the top of the group. They've got a real chance of getting into the next round. Uh, their next game is is against Brazil. I love how tight this group has become. Yeah, and, and it really shows you the value of just getting that one result like they got against France. Just getting a point, picking up a point you're not expected to get, particularly in this kind of expanded tournament. I was I was slightly disappointed with Jamaica in this game. I know they were without Bunny Shaw, But this game really felt... I think it's quite significant that all three games today were decided by set pieces. Um, And I don't think any of the teams that won were particularly brilliant. And I think set pieces kind of bailed them all out a little bit. And this game, it just felt to me like for Jamaica, it was going to be either a set piece or Drew Spence doing something on her own. And for Panama, it felt like it was going to have to be Marta Cox doing something on her own and that that's kind of what the game felt like to me you could tell that these teams just didn't quite have that quality in the final third but Jamaica have certainly got it at the back and Alison Swarby who who scored the goal is you know clearly one of their star players and yeah they they you know I if I were Brazil I would be I would be nervous about that game because particularly Jamaica should get Bunny back so you know, particularly on the counter-attack, I think that's going to be a really, really interesting game. And particularly, like I said, I think you can get through that Brazil midfield 
in transition. So I, I think Jamaica could could have some fun there. Yeah, Bunny Shaw is due back from suspension, Sophie, for that match, which could be absolutely vital. It looks as if France are going to go through because they have Panama next and you would expect them, although we don't know, you would expect them to to win that game. So it feels like it is just going to be a shootout between Jamaica and Brazil. What's the difference between these two sides and and who's going to be able to to win it? Who's the stronger? I mean, I think looking at it, you'd have to say Brazil. Just going on form and you know experience in World Cups and and all of that kind of thing, but this tournament has had a habit of throwing up the the unexpected in round two. So who knows what knows what round three um, the group stage is gonna gonna bring. But um, I think I think you'd have to say Brazil. But I think Tim is is perfectly right in in how we saw they were undone on the transition today with France um, and especially with someone like Bunny Shaw coming back in. Um, and ha- we know we all know how good she is. We've seen it week in week out in the WSL in England. So um, that's going to be a, a massive, um, I guess, worry for for the Brazilian defence. Um, but I mean, on, on paper, I think they should they should do it. I mean, Jamaica have not had the best build up to this tournament. The fact that they got that draw against France, um, they were probably expected to win against Panama, but their draw against France was a, a huge deal. Um, but the build-up hasn't been good, and you know they've had all the problems with the federation and and that kind of stuff. So it's not been ideal. Um, so you would have to say that Brazil are better placed. Yeah, we've actually had uh, a question on Twitter from Joel Emerson. Uh, why haven't we seen a direct free kick goal? Who wants to take that? Yeah, I'll take that. I so essentially, I think it's probably random, and it's just a bit of variance. Because if you remember, we didn't have a header from a set piece for I think the first three or four days of the tournament. And now those seem to be the only goals that are scored. And then we had that amazing run of the first eight games all having a penalty. And that seems to have calmed down as well. So I think it's probably just a bit of variance. And if we revisit that question again in a week, we'll probably have had four or five. There you go, Joel. That'll be my guess. Ask ask it again. Uh, Right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll round up a big win for Sweden and give you some more big injury news going into the final round of group games. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, welcome to the party, Sweden. Hi there. A hugely impressive 5-0 victory to blow Italy out of the water and secure their place in the last 16 with a game to spare. Uh, They were semi-finalists, you'll remember, back in 2019 and showed exactly why they're still heavyweights of the women's game. Amanda Ilsted, Friedelina Rolfo, Stina Blackstenius scoring in the space of seven minutes at the end of the first half after Italy had managed to continue them well in the opening stages of the game but they flexed their muscles Moyo didn't they yeah it, it literally felt as though once they got the first goal that it felt as though they were going to get a lot more I feel like every time a set piece came in as well it just seemed as though Sweden was so much bigger than it's like I almost didn't realize how much bigger they were than the Italian side until set pieces started coming about 
it, it genuinely felt as though, like, we were talking about France before, and we were saying, oh, Wendy Renard, but it felt as though there were about five players in this Sweden side that would be a threat aerially. And they essentially just continue to punish them um, through set pieces and through crosses. Sweden are a side, though, in general, that have been playing... Like, a lot of the people that were playing today have been playing in the Sweden side for a while. Um, and you can tell, because one thing I've found, like, in this World Cup especially chemistry has been a huge thing in terms of do people know where they're supposed to be in relation to other players um and I think that's why we've seen a lot of the players for Sweden continue their club form for country just because they are used to also playing um international football with this same team um it was nice to see um Blackstinian score um also because we saw her end last season quite well so I wanted to see if she was going to continue that going into this tournament um and she looked good to be honest I feel like she was a threat even without her goal she was doing a lot of um additional stuff whether that be link up or like running the channels as well um but yeah I was impressed with speeding because I don't think in the first game I was that impressed I think this was like a statement performance for them to be like don't count us out well they, they scraped through didn't they the, the, their opening game with a with a late winner um but I tell you what Tim it really looks like your beloved Arsenal have got a player on their hands in uh, Amanda Illerstedt if I'm pronouncing her name right I, I you know my, my Swedish is as bad as my French to be honest um obviously <laughs> uh, Jonas Leidevel, Arsenal manager, knows her obviously very, very well, but you must be rubbing your hands together with glee. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see with Sweden, as well as having all of those players uh, that Moyo talked about who can attack corners in Jona Andersson and Kosovo Aslani, they've got two brilliant players, left foot and right foot delivery. They put them right on top of the goalkeeper, lots of in-swingers, very, very difficult to defend. I thought Sweden were poor at the start of this game. I thought Italy had their number um, quite a bit, but there was, there was I can't remember how it happened, but the ball went out of play or, or someone was getting treatment on about 20 minutes and the Swedish players had a bit of a huddle and they clearly changed something. I don't know whether they changed something in the way they pressed or or something like that. And after that, they got better. And, and then, yeah, clearly the floodgates opened, largely from set pieces. But Sweden are a team that kind of fascinate me because I've tipped them for the last couple of tournaments. But this time around, I felt like the team has aged out a little bit. Mm. However, all of the favourites have a flaw somewhere and one of them is going to win it. <laughs> so some, somewhat, there is going to be a team that wins this World Cup that certainly I think is slightly flawed. And it could be Sweden. Who knows? I kind of don't think it will be. But yeah, th- this really felt like the start of the tournament proper for them. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, but I also feel as if because they've disappointed of late, they, they know that this is their time with, with, with the players that they've got. And we've mentioned set pieces a lot in today's pod, actually. And it feels as if people are going to be watching that and know, need to learn how to properly defend them. I remember seeing, although obviously they didn't score against England, they were still a, a threat in um, the semi-finals of, uh, of the Euros. But I do think that... I remember looking at them. I was sat pitch side behind the goal and thinking, God, they're huge, um, which, you know, is it, going to cause cause problems because I don't feel as if England necessarily capitalised on their set pieces um, in, in their match against Denmark the other day. So certainly something to watch. And it means that this group's really open, um, Sophie. Italy... Um, 
will need a win against South Africa to get through. But it feels mentally as if Italy have got something missing here. You know, they did so well in the opening stages. As, as Tim said, Sweden were on top. Um, Sweden were on top, but not impressive at the, at the beginning. And then they concede and they seem to kind of just flake a little bit. Italy are a bit of a conundrum for me because they have. there's no doubt they have good players. And, you know, the domestic league is building over there massively. We saw what AS Roma have done this year. Um, and what Juventus have done in the past as well. Um, yeah, they're a conundrum, but they kind of burst onto the world scene, didn't they, four years ago? And they did really well in, in 2019 in France and then completely flopped at last year's Euros. So I don't know whether it's a mental thing or whether it's a cohesion thing. Um, they just, as you say, they can lose their sort of concentration sometimes, I think. And it all just falls apart. Um, I, I thought that that win the other day against Argentina would be the start of the momentum. Yes, it was really hard fought. It was a scrappy game by all accounts. Um, and it relied on a Girelli let, like, late header to, to get them through. But I thought the momentum would start to, and the confidence would start to build. And they certainly started the game in, in, in a good vein of form. But yeah, then as soon as they lost their sort of concentration a bit, I think it just sort of faded away from them. And we saw them lose 5-0 in the Euros last summer against France in what was a real capitulation where they had this they had this mad idea of pushing their fullbacks up really high against Diani in Baltimore, which made you just think, what like what on earth are you thinking why why did you think that that was a good idea kind of thing so yeah yeah it's you know I was surprised um that Bertolini held on to her job after the Euros last summer if things if they don't get through this group I I don't think she will again I mean Bertolini is a pretty adaptable adaptable manager like she she's happy to change things she doesn't she doesn't like just stick to the same formula but sometimes it's absolutely wild, the stuff she changes, <laughs> um, which um, is probably not on, erring on the bad side of being adaptable, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, I think. But she dresses so well. She always she looks does. so great. The one thing that always stands out to me, sad as that is. Just a quick one um, left on Sweden, Moyo, because they have qualified for every single World Cup, only failed to reach the knockouts once. They are consistent, as we've discussed, but I wonder how they're going to fare in the last 16 because they're going to face the runner-up from Group D, which could be the USA or the Netherlands. You know, it's it's not not an easy last 16 game for them. Yeah, I think it's tricky because... Like you said, Sweden are consistent in terms of preliminary rounds. So, like, they're consistent in terms of the opposition you think they're going to beat, they they normally do. There's very few times that I feel like they're going to win and they don't. Um, I feel like the problem for them comes when they're meeting. So, like, the two nations you just mentioned now, USA and the Netherlands, I would not back Sweden against any of those teams. And I feel like that's where the disconnect is happening. I feel like I may have backed them against the Netherlands last year or the year before. But the Netherlands just seem to understand go time a bit more than them. Um, And my worry with Sweden is when they go behind in games, they don't necessarily have a switch to turn it off and be like, let's just forget that goal and let's just move on to the next. They always seem to dwell on the goal that they've just conceded. Um, And my worry with those, like the two teams you just mentioned, is that they will both probably score. And so what will Sweden's response be then? Um, 
which I'm not sure about. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't back them against either of those two teams, but you never know with Sweden. They've got the, they've got the players to do it. It's just about the application. Yeah. Well, the, their last uh, Group G match will be against Argentina on Wednesday the 2nd. That's also 11am UK time, along with South Africa against Italy. Uh, right, to round off this week, we need to discuss some injury news. And I'm sorry, because we've got a lot of injury news to discuss, but there was a very positive announcement coming out of the England camp earlier on, a statement from the FA dropped at around one o'clock this afternoon. Following a scan late on Saturday, Australia time, we can confirm Kira Walsh has not suffered an anterior cruciate ligament injury. Walsh has been ruled out of Tuesday's final Group D match against China in Adelaide and will remain at England's Terrigal base to continue her recovery. Her knee injury will continue to be assessed by England medical staff and no further update will be provided at this stage. But, I mean, Sophie... Just first and foremost, a huge relief. It's not as severe as it initially looked because I think we all feared the worst, didn't we? Uh, yes. I mean, just, yeah, all of the relief that it's not an ACL because I can tell you the whole press box went completely quiet when that happened um, yesterday. Like, we've all seen it so many times, especially this season. I think I've seen, what, six ACLs at this point. Um, so it was always when they go down like that, you always just feel feel the worst. Um, and so, yeah, very, very relieved that it's not. Um, I, I still don't get the feeling from having seen it that she, she will come back. But, um, yeah, it's just a good relief that, that she is not the worst that could have happened because um, it was heartbreaking at the time and it would have been heartbreaking to get the news. Yeah, absolutely sucked the life out of the game, didn't it, when she went off on the 35th minute. We talked about it in yesterday's pod, Moyo, but I think probably a big part going forward for England is that she is likely to remain with the team, even if she's not able to play, which with a ligament damage, you would expect her not to be available for the rest of the tournament because it takes a while to to come back from. But just being within the camp, you know, she's one of the senior members of the team nowadays. That could be quite helpful. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think last um, summer's tournament, um, in the Euros, we had a lot of experienced players, basically. So it wouldn't have been necessarily vital for Kira Walsh's stay around, like, if she needed uh, medical care or assistance. But like, I feel like now, in this current squad, so many of the players that are starting and playing, and even the ones on the bench, aren't really experienced when it comes to a World Cup. So even just having her knowledge on the bench, being able to speak to players and watch the game from the sidelines and be able to say, OK, I've seen this. I think we should adapt via X, Y, Z. Because England are missing a lot of leaders right now. Like, that's not even mentioning the players that didn't come from the beginning. So that's like that. Leah Williamson, Beth Mead. We Like, they're also missing the players that retired. Um, so, yeah, I feel like having someone like Kerry Walsh in camp in general will help. Um But yeah, I I am interested to see how how it plays out just because England have never really... We've never really seen England without Kira Walsh, like in recent time. We haven't really seen them. If anyone's getting rotated, it's not Kira Walsh. Like it's been the number 10. Um, So yeah, I'm interested to see who the next in command basically is going to be. What do you think, Sophie, it'll be a straight swap or do you think Serena Wiegmann will have to change formation and and perhaps drop Georgia Stanway further um, deep? I think what she did yesterday was try and play Georgia Stanway in Kara Walsh's role. Um, and the problem with that is, I, well, Georgia will do a good job. Like, she, she's solid enough, but then you lose Georgia Stanway as well. She's also not Kara Walsh. So is it about trying to find, you know, fit a square peg in a round hole or try and find a solution around that with the players you do have? Because um, there is no natural 
replacement in the England squad for Kira Walsh um, as it is. If Leah Williamson had been fit, that would have been a more natural, I, I think, um, replacement in this situation. Um, but as it was without like the likes of maybe Lucy Staniforth there, that would have been a, a, a superb option to have in that kind of deep line midfield role. Um, but we just don't have that in, in the England team at the moment. So I, I think she's got a bit of a conundrum on her hands because um, Serena doesn't like to change her style of play all that much during tournaments, um, but she might have had a hand forced in this situation. Yeah, she has said previously that they always have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. But as we said yesterday, Ellen White said they didn't have a plan B if there was no Kira Walsh in the Euros last year. So it's going to be fascinating to see. Just a final one on, on, on Lauren James and, and looking ahead to England's match against against China. Uh, Rachel Daly gave a really glowing assessment of, of Lauren James's match-winning performance. Says she's incredible. She brings a different presence to the team and a load of ability. I'm buzzing for her. She's so special and you can see what she does in tight spaces and, and you sense she's going to be so big for England going forward we tipped her as the player to watch um, in our preview pod and, and surely she has staked her claim to to start for Serena Vigman going forward yeah absolutely um, I you know the there's no reason to take her out and and I'd keep her um, in that space as well. And I I think you could play her as a number 10. You could play her on the right, you could play her on the left. She'll do the same thing wherever she plays. But without Kira Walsh there, I'd be hesitant about putting her in the number 10 spot because I think there is going to have to be a bit more solidity um, in that midfield. And, and I think that one of the fullbacks might have to invert a little bit and come in and help out in that area um, as well. But yeah, look, Lauren James is just a player you have to play. And I think Lauren Hemp hasn't been on it for club or country for a little while now. Um, I have to, even the Euros last year, I mean, she wasn't bad, but by her standards, it was a bit six, seven out of 10. And at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as Serena's concerned, she's got the shirt and she'll have to do something specifically to lose it. And I don't think she will. I think she'll stay in and I think she'll I think we'll be talking about her as England's best player at the tournament come what may um once the tournament ends for England uh, hopefully on August the 20th with the trophy in their hands. Yeah, oh my god, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? It it really would. She's such a sh- such a great player. I'm glad she gets to actually dazzle on the, on the world stage as we know she's been capable of. Uh big news coming out of the Australia camp ahead of their make or break meeting with Canada on Monday, talking about players who can make an influence. The uh, Matilda's talismanic striker and captain Sam Kerr has declared herself fit to play after picking up that calf injury which kept her out of the first two group games. Uh, she spoke at today's press conference in Brisbane says I'm going to be there I'm going to be ready the plan has always been the same miss the first two games and then reassess I'm feeling good I was out on the pitch today as good as I can be and uh, that is absolutely going to be huge because this is a massive game now in in I mean a, a quite bonkers uh, group B which we thought would be an easy you know Canada and Australia uh, get through to the last 16 and and certainly not with a Nigerian side performing as they are with Sam Kerr Australia are different prospects Sophie they are but with half fit Sam Kerr I think Sam Kerr was always going to play this game because of the stakes involved I think she would have probably played it on one leg if she had to um like we don't know her kind of her fitness or how long she's going to play or how she's going to be used will she start and get like half an hour and just try and get that goal 
or will she finish it off? And, and if they're needing a goal in the last 20 minutes, throw her on and see what she can do. Um, I'm not, yeah, I, I think it's um, still still going to be an issue, that, that, that calf muscle, because, um, you know, Kara Cooney-Cross came out in a press conference last week and said she'd torn her calf. So that's pretty miraculous recovery from a torn calf. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know how they've stitched it back together or something. But uh, Samco was always going to play in this tournament if she if she absolutely had to. Um, and it's getting to that stage for Australia where she absolutely has to because the idea of them going out at the group stage in their home tournament is kind of um, unfathomable, that word. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm struggling with it. But, um, yeah, you, you know, it, it, it would definitely dampen the emotions over here in, in terms of the, the kind of um, potential that the tournament had in, in terms of the crowds it was getting as well. Um, so I, I think they have to go all out for that. Yeah, well, we'll see what what Sam Kerr we get. That sounds rude. What Sam Kerr are we going to get? But you know, you know what I mean, don't you, uh, in that match? Uh, not such good news for Norway's Ada Hegerberg. Coach Hege Risa confirmed she's not going to be fit in time to play in their must-win game against the Philippines tomorrow. She picked up a groin injury prior to kick-off in their goalless draw with Switzerland. There were so many question marks over that. Someone else someone else said she was ill. And yeah, we're all shaking our heads because it was just bizarre. You don't walk away from a, a team huddle and then suspiciously not uh, feature at all. Very, very weird. Um, I mean, it's a shame another one of the world's best players isn't able to be out there doing her thing, Tim. But equally, I think there might be more to it. You know, I don't know, by the way. I feel like this is a very leading question. I don't know, but it just doesn't quite feel right. And nothing about this Norway side has felt quite right in this tournament. No, not at all. Yeah. So to take the first point, yeah, it's it's a mini, tra- I mean, it's mini tragedy about Sam Kerr um, because I just, even if she plays, we're not going to see her fit in this tournament. I don't think we'll see her half fit perhaps. And kind of the same with Hegerberg, particularly after the last few years she's had, particularly she didn't go to the last World Cup as the Ballon d'Or holder because she was basically on strike from the national team. So I was desperate for her to kind of remind people of, you know, perhaps she can't get to that level again that she was at a few years ago, but I really would have loved for her to have a big World Cup. And I'm with you, nothing about this smells right. Even the way she walked off, nobody seemed to really know why. Um, And I think after the first game as well, I saw her kind of walk away from the the huddle and she was throwing her arms up and I I think the other thing that tells you this is not a happy camp is how much is getting leaked like we know we know the lineups before now now we're being told that Caroline Graham Hansen's going to start the next game I mean that shouldn't be news in itself really but the fact that it's all getting leaked I mean usually that happens for one reason and one reason only and this does not look like a happy camp at all no, it really doesn't. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see, but I can't... I mean, uh, this is where I feel that the, the Philippines can actually massively take advantage. Uh, four games tomorrow, that's one of them. Norway, Philippines, Switzerland, New Zealand, South Korea, Morocco and Germany against Colombia. Which one tickles your fancy the most, Moyo? You know what? I'm, I'm excited to see Colombia. They impressed me in their second game. Um, obviously, I'm not sure about what the health condition is of Linda Caicedo so that's going to kind of change whether I'm excited to see the game or not um 
but yeah, I'm excited to see them because they played a good brand of football um, in my eyes. And, and I want to see that. I want to see if that was just a, when I watched them, they were good. Or I want to see if that's a, this is how they play on a day-to-day basis. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see Columbia. Yeah, I, I am as well. I'm covering that game and uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to Switzerland against New Zealand because I want to see New Zealand uh, progress to the last 16. We need the co-hosts, as we said. Uh, also, apologies to all of our listeners in New Zealand because and, and actually particularly those of you in Palmerston North, to be precise, because Spain think you're boring. I mean, maybe not, but uh, the Spanish women's national team have left their training base early but have denied allegations that players and their families reportedly suffered from boredom. Uh, Sources told ESPN that La Roja headed into Wellington today, two days before they face Japan for their third match that will determine who wins Group C. The team's denied allegations in the report, though, that they left Palmy, as it's called, early because of a lack of things to do with a Spanish team contact confirming to AAP that they had moved, but not because of dissatisfaction. I love it when stories like that come out. Like the people of Palmerston North, tell us what you think. Is your place boring? Is that why they've gone? What's happened? Anyway, it's time. I'm going to use this with you, Moyo, because you said this earlier. It's go time. It's go time. It's go time, Moyo. I'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Get to bedtime for Sophie. Absolutely. I'm knackered. (laughs) Thanks for having me. And good luck for the uh, jet lag from America, Tim Stillman. Yeah, thank you. I'm desperately fighting for it not to be bedtime for me because it's only 20 past four and it feels like it. Oh no, you've just you've just outed what time we've recorded the pod, but you know we'll fig- we'll forgive you for that. Uh, we'll be back on Monday as groups A, B, and C reach their climax with some eye-catching ties, including Canada, Australia, and Japan against Spain. Women's Football Weekly is produced by Josh and Chana and Lucy Oliver. Music composition was by Laura Iredell, and our executive producer is Max Sanderson. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel. With its incredible camera and AI-powered technology, Google Pixel is bringing fans closer to the game this summer. Search Google Store to find out more. This is The Guardian. 